Well, we just wrapped up an important sermon series called Look to the Rock, in which we've talked about what makes Covenant Covenant. We've talked about our essential beliefs, the, our sense of calling as a church, the values that we want to define us, and the, the heart posture that we uh, want also to characterize us. And uh, if you missed it or parts of it, I would just want to encourage you to go back and, and listen to the parts that you missed or to read them. We, you can find it on our website. You can find it in our blog site. You can also, uh, we could email you a copy of the print version or even print you off a copy um, if that would be helpful for you. But um, I feel like as we get a little farther down the road, we're going to look back on this series and realize, and realize that it was a pretty important um, time of our kind of uh, starting down the path of the future together. So I was praying about where to go after that series, and the Lord led me to the first three chapters of John's Gospel. What an amazing bit of scripture. And I think what a perfect place for us to shift our gaze off of ourselves and to put them on the one who is our defining center, on Jesus, who is the Savior who laid down his life for us, who is the Lord, who, uh, the living Lord who walks beside us, and, and who is the King who rules over us. Two people are prominent in these chapters as we walk through them. I think that this will become pretty obvious to you. Jesus, who is the light and the life, looms the largest. And these chapters are rich with metaphors that Jesus uses to introduce himself to the world. That Jesus is the word, the light, the stairway, the, the new wine, the teacher, the temple. And each of these is an opportunity for us to wrestle with who Jesus claims to be and also what it means for us to follow him. Because... The whole point of Jesus coming to earth is to bring us into relationship with God. And because that relationship with God is only made possible as we believe who Jesus is and entrust our lives to him, we're going to have an opportunity woven into every sermon in this series to respond, to pray and respond by faith to who Jesus is. And then at the end of the series on November 14th, we're going to have an opportunity for you to be baptized. If you make a commitment to Christ during this series or have in the past and have never been baptized, we want to give you the opportunity to do that on the last Sunday in the series. Well, the other person who occupies a key role in these chapters is John, the one that we call John the Baptist, probably not such a great name for him, uh, but he's the one who comes along uh, preparing the way for the Messiah. If Jesus is the light, John, as, as he describes himself in, in John 5, 33 to 35, is the lamp. He is not a rival source of illumination, but one whose purpose is to carry the light of Christ out into this world and hold it up for all to see. So the presence of John in this narrative, as we walk through this, reminds us that for us as believers, Jesus is not only the object of our faith, but he is also the subject of our witness, and that uh, we have the privilege and the opportunity for us to go out in this world and represent him in it. So three quick things to prepare your heart for this series. I encourage you to read through these three chapters of John's gospel several times over the next several weeks. I'd also encourage you to just pray uh, each day and particularly as we come together on, on Sunday morning that your heart would be open uh, to the truth that God wants to teach us from his word about who Jesus is. And then the last thing I want to encourage you to do, and there are one or two ways to do this, is to get your hands on one of these. We have a print version of this, a bookmark uh, about our, our uh, sermon series. Um, we also have on our website, at the end of our blog page, a uh, an electronic version of this that you can download as a, 
as a lock screen on whatever device you have. And the, the point of this, yeah, it looks cool and be nice for you to have, but the point of this is that it has a memory verse on the back of it or uh, built into the wallpaper. And uh, we'd really like to encourage you, Here's the. this will take you straight to the, the site if you want to get this for your device. Um, we want to encourage you to download this so you have that verse because we want to uh, have every single one of us memorize this passage if you haven't already done so. It's a very familiar one. Um, and then to begin to pray it every day this fall for yourself and for your brothers and sisters who are part of the covenant family. All right. I want to tell you, I want to begin by telling you about my first encounter with this portion of scripture. Uh, by the time my senior year uh, rolled around, uh, when I was at Miami University, I had been an atheist for years. Mickey Maudlin uh, was a good friend of mine and a fellow atheist. And I still remember vividly uh, the time when the summer between my junior and senior years ended, and I came back to campus for the start of my senior year. I was driving into town in my Volkswagen bus, driving down uh, the, the uh, high street from the little town of Oxford. And as I was coming around the corner at East Quad, there was my friend Mickey Maudlin coming across the corner. So of course, because the world centered on me, I just stopped in the middle of traffic and Mickey came over and, and we started talking. And, um, and if you uh, ever have a chance to meet Mickey, he's now an editor for Harper One. If you ever get a chance to meet him, he, he has kind of a crooked grin that makes it look like he's always up to something. So Mickey came over and grinned, and I said, Mickey, how was your summer? And he said, it was awesome. And I said, really, what was the best part of it? And he said, I became a Christian, and I cracked up. I love that, that's hilarious. No, really, what was the best part of your summer? I became a Christian. Whoa, look at all the traffic piled up behind me. I really ought to get going, uh, and off I went. Well, uh, Mickey and I were both peer advisors, uh, part of the uh, same group at Miami University. We did, we did tutoring and study skills for people who struggled academically. And uh, about a month into the fall semester, he stuck a big sign up on our bulletin board, Bible study, led by Mickey Maudlin. Uh, that went up several times over that fall semester, and I managed to escape each of them through the fall. I headed off on Christmas vacation, I came back for the start of the new year, and Mickey cornered me. Hey, I really want you to come to one of these Bible studies. And on the inside of me, I was saying, hey, I don't want to. But on the outside of me, I said, okay, when's the next one? So I went to the Bible study. It's January. You know, it gets dark at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I drive my freezing cold Volkswagen bus. It takes 45 minutes to heat up, up, up the street to, up Poplar Street to where Mickey's apartment is. I go inside. He has a basement apartment. And it's just the two of us to add awkwardness to awkwardness. <laughs> and then compounding that after we have a chance to pretend like neither of us is the least bit awkward in this conversation. He hands me this Bible that is about four feet by six feet across. Not exactly, but it's this huge black Bible. He helps me uh, turn to the New Testament, and then he flips past the first three historical accounts of Jesus' life and turns to this one written by a guy named John. And we look at the first 18 verses together. And as we looked at them, 
And as we talked about what it meant, the words just came like a wrecking ball through the last bit of my resistance toward God. For years, I had resisted him. I had pushed back. I wanted nothing to do with him. And then I read this passage, and God spoke. And my soul just broke open. And all of the pieces just came together. And and I just knew it was true. I didn't even feel as though there was a decision to be made at that point. I just believed. It made sense of who Jesus was, who God is, why I was here, how to be in relationship with God. It all just came together. It's like a, a demolition happening in reverse. All right, with that backdrop of my own first experience of the book, this may be your first experience of it, or this may be the 50th time that you've come into it, but I trust that it will speak with power to us this morning. So pause with me just a moment as we open up this passage of Scripture. Think about um, every encounter you have ever had with another human being. You and the other person come together into a moment, both of you, regardless of surface differences like age or gender or ethnic background, both of you having much in common because you are fellow members of the human race. You share a common origin the result of a union between a man and a woman. You share a common experience, enjoying the joys and the gifts and grieving the difficulties and the losses of the human condition. You share common limitations, neither of you able to transcend the limits of your existence. You share a common plight. You both wrestle to make sense of a God who somehow is both present and absent in this world and to live by a moral code that is inbuilt, that's wired into you, but seems impossible to meet. And you both share a common fate. Death awaits you both. Little wonder that our imaginations have been captured, especially in the past decade, by superheroes. The idea that someone among us might look like the rest of us, but have some sort of unique power that transcends normal human limits. But when we finish the latest Marvel or DC movie and we walk out of the theater, we leave those superheroes behind. We know we will never run into one in the union or pay less or our neighborhood because they don't exist. We return from our escape to the world, or we turn from our escape to a world filled with ordinary human beings just like us. But the appeal of those superheroes runs so deep because the idea that there would be a Super human being touches one of the deepest longings that we have as human beings. That there would come among us one who transcends the human experience, rescues us from the clutches of whatever holds us captive, and brings us safely home. Which brings us to the opening lines of John's Gospel. This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 of chapter 1 in John's Gospel. And this is one of the most striking and mysterious and provocative and beautiful passages you will find anywhere in the pages of Scripture. And my goal is just to help us to hear it. 
to let it speak, to let it make its astounding claims and let our souls respond. The other three Gospels all start here with an eye-to-eye, fellow member of the human race sort of view of Jesus. We recognize him immediately as one of us. And it's only gradually that we discover that there's something more to him. Not John. John doesn't even start within human history. He starts before it, introducing us to the central figure of his gospel, a person that he will introduce to us as the word who exists even before there was a world to be born into. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. What do we learn about this person who is called the Word? Before creation began, he already existed. From the beginning, he was already in relationship with God. From the beginning, he was God in a mysterious way that we cannot understand. Separate and yet one, just as God and the Spirit of God are separate but one in the creation account. That creation account found in Genesis chapter 1 is filled with themes that are echoed in these verses that we are looking at now. Listen to Genesis 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. We are introduced in John 1, 1 to 2, to the word. Word is not a name or a title. It's more of a role that this person fulfills. Scholars have written volumes on what this word means. Some trace it back to the word of God in the Old Testament, which almost had a personal quality at times. Others connect it to the idea of the eternal logos, which was a topic of, of conversation among philosophers in, ancient, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, but I think we're meant to take this word, word, at face value. What does a word do? It expresses. It gives voice to the heart and mind and purposes of the person who speaks it. Without a word, we are left to guess. But with a word, we know. Jesus tells us or John tells us that that's exactly what this person, who is the center of his gospel, that's exactly what this person has always been. This person who is in eternal and unbroken relationship with God, who is himself God, he is the one who expresses, who gives voice to the heart of God. As the J.B. Phillips translation puts it, at the beginning, God expressed himself. And that personal expression, that word was God and was with God and existed with God from the beginning. Now John describes the relationship between this person and creation. Verse 
Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It's said both positively and negatively, so there's no ambiguity whatsoever. We might say, through him, all things were made, no exceptions. Again, John makes an amazing claim. I mean, you know this, that there is a line that runs through the entirety of existence, a stark dividing line. On the one side, all that is created. On the other side, the one who creates. John draws a line three verses into his gospel. And he says, on this line, we are found, and all that was created, and on this side, God, and this word. Next comes the relationship between this word, this person, and the spiritual life, the spiritual realm. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What has the power to bring a soul to life? Who has the wisdom to open the way into a relationship with God and into spiritual maturity? The word does, John tells us. He brings people to life spiritually and he lights the way for them to come into a relationship with God. The word is the life and the light. As the message version puts it, every person entering life, he brings into the light. Only now, having established the true nature and character of this one that John calls the Word, only now does John turn and bring the scene to the earth. And here is where he introduces another normal human being, a man named John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, if you've not read John's gospel before, this can be confusing because we have John the disciple here writing about John the Baptist. And again, John the Baptist is really a poor title for him. We should probably call him John the forerunner or John the waymaker or John the last of the great prophets or at the very least, John the baptizer, not John the Baptist. God uses John the forerunner to establish a pattern for those of us who will come along after John as believers in Jesus. Like John, we too are sent from God. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Like John, we too are called to bear witness to Jesus. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And like John, our goal, too, is that all might believe. Jesus says to us, to every one of us, go and make disciples of all nations. As followers of the word, we are called to use our words to narrate our own experience of the grace and truth of God made manifest in the word. So now, John opens up the relationship between this person 
and humanity. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, the co-creator of the universe, steps into the world that he made himself as a part of that world, as a human being. Every person he encounters is someone that he himself has helped to create. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We come in this verse to the heart of the mission of Jesus, which was to bring humanity from spiritual death to spiritual life, to reconcile humanity with the God who created them, ushering them into the relationship with God for which they were made. The message version says, but whoever did want him, whoever believed that he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves. Their child of God selves. We have to pause here and ask which has been our response to this word that has come into the world. So, next, John explains the relationship between this word and the historical Jesus that we have encountered. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the only begotten son, the one and only son, who came from the father full of grace and truth. As Eugene Peterson translates this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The expression refers to closing distance, drawing near. But this language of of dwelling among us also echoes all the language of the tabernacle and the temple in which God drew near to his people in the Old Testament. Where do you go to find God in this world? Here. The passage goes on. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. 
The idea of glory always has to do with God revealing himself, making himself known for who he is. And Jesus comes dripping with the divinity that is his. This is where we encounter the idea that the word of God is God's son. It doesn't mean that God conceived him. John has already told us that he has always existed along with the Father. What this does mean is that he bears in every way his Father's likeness. As the message puts it, like Father, like Son. You want to see what the Father is like? Look at the Son. Another key passage that knits together the idea of glory and grace and truth is found in the story of God tucking Moses into the cleft in the rock and then passing before him, declaring the heart of his own glory and goodness. And as he does that, he refers to himself using these same two words, grace and truth, to describe his divine nature. God fleshes himself out and strolls through our midst as human beings clothed in grace and truth as the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Now John brings John the forerunner back into the picture and says more about the relationship between this person and John. That John is lowering himself and he is lifting up Jesus. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John was the last in a long and illustrious line of Old Testament prophets. And as such, among the Jewish people, he would have carried the greatest of prestige. Nonetheless, he insists that he himself is nothing compared to this Jesus. John is just like the rest of us as human beings just like every other human being that we've met. But this Jesus, he comes from outside. He is God too and not merely human. And he has existed since before the beginning of time. And then that leads John to address the relationship between this person, the word, and, G- and Moses and all of God's previous dealings with humanity. And we see that Moses stands beside John in giving witness to this Jesus. Moses anticipated the coming of Jesus into the world in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, when he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. As the leading figures in Judaism and Christianity, Moses and Jesus are not at odds. The entirety of Moses' teaching anticipates and finds its fulfillment in Jesus, in his obedient life and in his sacrificial death. And then, in the final verse, John summarizes everything that he has just said about the relationship between this word and God and this word and us. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son... No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father.
has made him known. John closes this section by summarizing the miracle of the incarnation and explaining why in this introduction to, who, to Jesus, he keeps calling this divine being the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who takes on flesh as Jesus of Nazareth, why he keeps calling him the Word. He explains it in the, the closing phrase here. He says, this one has made God known. Jesus exegetes God. He explains God. He expounds God. He reveals God. He makes him known. Jesus is the definitive word on the subject of God. We no longer need guess what is true about God. The word is God telling us what is true about himself, about his heart for us, and about his purposes in human history and with each of us. When a word is spoken, two things are expected of us. That we would listen and that we would answer. So what is your answer to the word that God spoke in flesh and blood, which has resounded through the ages? Have you heard God's word this morning? Have you encountered him? Is he speaking your name? Do you hear him inviting you to himself? I'm going to read this passage again, the parts about Jesus in particular. And then after that, I'm just going to go right into a prayer. And if that prayer expresses the posture of your heart this morning, I just want to encourage you from your own heart to pray it with me. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. The true light that gives light, the true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest possible relationship with the Father, has made him known. Lord, for too long I have pushed you away and wanted nothing to do with you. But I have just heard your word, and it, and he, has penetrated my heart. I believe it. I believe him. I believe that you created me to to be your child, to enjoy a relationship with you. And I believe that Jesus, 
is the life and the light. He is the one who brings my soul to life and brings me into relationship with you, Father. Up until now, I have not welcomed him, but today I do. I open my life to him, to the grace that he gives, to the truth that he embodies, to the blessings that he brings. My soul tells me that you exist, God, even though I can't see you. But I believe that Jesus makes the invisible God visible and the unknowable God knowable. In Jesus, I come face to face with you, God. Through him, I give my life to you. I accept his gift of forgiveness and new life, and I turn from a life lived for me, and I choose a life lived with you and for you. Lead me into the life that you intend for me, Lord, and I will follow. In the beautiful name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen.